Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you this week from Atlanta, Michigan. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a Christian filmmaker from Colorado Springs has been arrested as part of a child sex sting operation conducted by local police there and the Department of Justice. We'll have details. And a documentary about the sex abuse scandal at Canacook Camps has won an Emmy. This journalistic prize for the news organization Vice lends further credibility to the stories of the survivors of sexual abuse at the hands of a Canucook counselor. We begin today with news that a defamation case filed by a pastor against his former church has been dismissed. Now, a Florida judge has dismissed the defamation lawsuit filed by former Celebration Church pastors Stovall and Carrie Weems on the grounds that the suit concerns an ecclesiastical matter and is therefore outside of the court's jurisdiction. Judge Marianne Lloyd wrote in her ruling, as pled, these claims would require the court to impermissibly examine the inner workings of Celebration Church, including the church's internal financial policies and bylaws, as well as the duties and actions of Pastor Weems. Because the plaintiff's case on their face, as currently written, would require the court's involvement in ecclesiastical doctrinal matters, neutral principles of law cannot be used to consider the issues at hand. As such, this court dismisses without prejudice the plaintiff's complaint. Now, when a case is dismissed without prejudice, Natasha, that means that it could be brought up at a later date. Well, our next story involves former football star Brett Favre. Yeah, NFL star Brett Favre uh, was uh, the public face of a Mississippi scandal over misspent welfare money over the last year or so. Uh, Favre received $1.1 million in misappropriated funds, though I should add that he has since paid that money back. Meanwhile, the family of Ted DeBias, who is a former WWE wrestler who fought as the Million Dollar Man, ironically, and now operates a Christian ministry called Heart of David, received more than $10 million in welfare funds from the state. The money went to Ted DeBias and his two ex-wrestler sons, Teddy Jr. and Brett, and various companies that they control. $10 million is a lot of money going to a Christian ministry from the state. How did that happen in the first place? Well, it's a good question. Um, I, we should note, as a bit of the backstory here, that Mississippi is one of the poorest states in the nation. One in five residents there live in poverty, including 28% of the state's children. But the state, um, you know, in part because of these t conditions, had been looking for new solutions to try to eradicate poverty. And they came upon a program where they would end cash payments to individuals who were chronically on welfare and instead convert those welfare dollars into programs designed to help the poor achieve self-sufficiency. Uh, and uh, the DeBias family ran a couple of those ministries that were receiving these state funds. Uh, but a years-long scandal 
uh, ended up ensuing, not just with DeBias, but others as well. And it's been estimated now that as much as $94 million in welfare funds went to nonprofits. And a lot of those funds were then doled out to friends or family members that weren't qualified to actually administer the programs, couldn't deliver the work that they were contracted to do. So Ted Tobias led one of those organizations taking the money? Yeah, that's right. In May, uh, both the DeBiases and dozens of other defendants uh, were named in a lawsuit seeking the return of that money. Ted DeBias received about $1.9 million, and Heart of David, his ministry, received about $1.7 million. These payments were supposedly for services that included motivational talks, and this is where Brett Favre comes into the story. Brett Favre was actually paid for those motivational talks, but they were never delivered. Uh, DeBias, who used much of the money for personal purposes as well, has not returned any of the funds, and his attorney says that he's not guilty. DeBias didn't respond to Ministry Watch. We made repeated requests for information. So DeBias is not talking, but others are, and the consequences of this story have big news for Mississippi and beyond. Yeah, that's right. Not only because a big, you know, football star Brett Favre is involved, but on September 22nd, John Davis, the former executive director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services, himself pleaded guilty to two federal charges and 18 state counts of embezzling federal welfare funds. Davis, too, is working with prosecutors, which probably is not good for DeBias and some of the other folks that have been charged. And, of course, one of the more tragic consequences is that Mississippi now spends less on welfare than it did before this scandal erupted. Nonprofits that actually serve the poor and have been doing so, you know, faithfully over the years have seen their funding cut. Officials with Operation Shoestring, a faith-based organization founded in 1968 to serve the poor, received $200,000 back in 2017, but has not received any funding since, in part because of all the problems with the scandal. So is it fair to say that this scandal would never have been uncovered were it not for journalists working on the story? Yeah, I think that is fair to say. Um, this is a pretty complex scandal, even just trying to explain it here on the podcast. I think some of our listeners, uh, you know, might be able to realize just how complex it is. Um, but it was covered uh, carefully, extensively by a journalist named Anna Wolf. She writes for a nonprofit news organization called Mississippi Today. And I think it's fair to say that without her work, it's likely that some of these money grabs would still be going on. So it's another example of the need for journalism to serve as a watchdog when large institutions, be they government institutions, nonprofit institutions, or in some cases, unfortunately, even the church are involved and they're not able to police themselves. Our next story involves a sex sting operation in Colorado Springs that swept up a Christian filmmaker and musician. Yeah, Steve Grison is a Christian filmmaker and veteran of the Jesus Movement's a 70s-era music scene. He was arrested last month in Colorado Springs following a summer-long collaborative effort to identify and arrest child sexual predators. Uh, the collaborative effort involved both the Colorado Springs Police Department and federal investigators from the Department of Justice. The Gazette, the Colorado Springs newspaper, first reported the arrest on October the 1st. 
For nearly 35 years, Gryson has operated two film companies in Monument, a small town just north of Colorado Springs. Yeah, the companies are called Principal Exploration Films Distribution, which says it manages the distribution of over 400 films that celebrate the good, the true, and the beautiful, and includes uh, incredible creatures that defy evolution, which has um, kind of taken on a second life. It's become real popular among Christians, especially in the homeschool community, and especially those who embrace young earth creationism. His other company is called Real Productions, which released First Love. the acclaimed film on the early days of the contemporary Christian music movement, as well as biblical thrillers like The Mystery of the Ark of the Covenant and The Search for the Real Mount Sinai. By the way, both of those films were narrated by John Rhys Davies, who played Gimli in The Lord of the Rings. Gryson was among 12 men arrested following investigations coordinated by the Colorado Springs Police Department and El Paso County Sheriff's Office Joint Internet Crimes Against Children Unit and special agents from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Everybody got their hands in this one. In fact, we reached out to the uh, Department of Homeland Security and to the El Paso Sheriff's Department in terms of, I'm sorry, the Colorado Springs Police Department in in our coverage of this. I want to credit Steve Raby for doing a great job with this story. Uh, Charges for the 12 men include internet luring of a child, sexual exploitation of a child, attempted sexual assault of a child, soliciting for child prostitution, stalking and unlawful possession of a controlled substance. That was not the Grison case, but another one of the cases. Grison was released after posting a $35,000 bail. And if convicted of the charges that he faces, uh, he could face more than four years in prison. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a fake school of theology defrauded taxpayers of millions. Now the scammers face justice. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the story we promised before the break. Yeah, it's the story of a team of scammers who created a sham theology school to defraud the U.S. Department of Education's financial aid programs of millions of dollars. The scammers have now pled guilty to conspiracy and wire fraud. The U.S. Department of Justice said that Sandra Anderson of Palmetto, Georgia, was the ringleader of the group, though three others also pleaded guilty to charges as well. 
Prosecutors said that under Anderson's direction, they set up a bogus satellite campus of a real school, the Apex School of Theology, and enrolled individuals who agreed to pose as students. Yeah, they then completed fake financial aid applications in the students' names and proceeded to do the students' homework, take tests for them, and pose as teachers so they could manipulate grades and ensure that students continued to meet the minimum qualifying requirements for federal financial aid. When students' financial aid refund checks arrived, they either stole the checks or required the students to cash the checks and provide a portion of the funds to the co-conspirators. Now, I do want to mention, Natasha, uh, that the Apex School of Theology is as much a victim here as anyone. They are a real school. They are not the perpetrators of this fraud. This is a group of people led by Anderson that set up a bogus satellite branch of the school. It didn't really exist except on paper. So I want to be clear that Apex School of Theology is not the folks perpetrating this fraud. They are as much victims as the taxpayers are, who of course paid all these millions of dollars. Now, with that said, though, I should say that the conspirators, Anderson and also the others that worked with her, could face up to 20 years in prison uh, following their guilty plea and sentencing will take place in December. In our next story, a former youth pastor from New York has been sentenced to more than a decade in prison for the sexual abuse of a Missouri teenager in 2013. Yeah, Jesse Vargas is now 38 years old, but he met Molly Rogers of St. Louis at a religious camp in Michigan where he worked when she was 11 years old, and he had sexual contact with her four years later whenever she was 15 and he was 29 years old. Now, at the sentencing that just took place last week, the victim said Vargas and I'm quoting here, played with my family and I like frogs in a pot over the course of the four years that she knew him, slowly increasing the temperature of his manipulation until we each were unaware of the, of the water that we had been submerged in let alone its suddenly scalding temperature. And Natasha, I want to mention here too that we did mention the name of the victim, Molly Rogers. Uh, We normally don't do that. We normally don't name the survivors in sexual assault cases, but she has intentionally, purposefully gone public in this case because she wants... Um, you know, her words to have credibility, and she's wanting to stand behind this. So we, therefore, in this particular case, have felt the liberty to use her name as well. So this is a case of a church leader grooming a young girl over many years. Yeah, it, it is exactly that. She said that by the age of 13 that she had abandoned most of her other spiritual leaders and friendships at his suggestion. And by the age of 14, he had even guided me, she said, to push away my closest friends. The sexual abuse began soon thereafter and, as we said, lasted for about four years. Eastern Missouri U.S. District Judge Ronnie L. White sentenced Vargas to 13 years and four months in prison and ordered him to pay more than $140,000 in restitution to his victim. That's right. Uh, Vargas had pleaded guilty to two felony counts, travel with the intent to engage in illicit sexual contact, and coercion and enticement of a minor. The FBI's acting special agent in charge of the investigation is a man named 
Mark Dargis, and he said, the way Jesse Vargas used the guise of spiritual instruction is repugnant. He manipulated not only his victim, but the adults who tried to protect her. He added, I commend the victim's bravery for coming forward in spite of having to relive her trauma to prevent others from becoming a victim as well. Our next story is also about achieving a measure of justice for a sexual abuse victim. It is. Uh, a Buffalo man was awarded $30 million in damages by the New York State Supreme Court on September 29th after a jury determined that a Lutheran pastor had molested him when he was a child. The ruling said Douglas Thor, who is now 73 years old, sexually abused the unnamed plaintiff, who is now 45 years old, multiple times when the plaintiff was around 12 or 13 years old. Thor was the pastor of St. Nicodemus Evangelical Lutheran Church in uh, upstate New York from about 1985 to about 2004, 19 years. The award includes $15 million in compensatory damages for pain and suffering and $15 million in punitive damages. Yeah, the plaintiff also is suing St. Nicodemus, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and the upstate New York Synod of the ELCA in a separate lawsuit, in part because it is unlikely that the victim will get any funds from Thor himself, who is basically living on a fixed income down in Florida at this point. So I think his uh, strategy of suing the other institutions is an attempt to get some level of financial justice here. Thor resigned in 2004 after these allegations uh, became public, and he admitted to molesting two boys in his congregation years earlier, at least according to the Buffalo newspaper. Thor told church officials that he had molested five teenage boys in western New York and two in Washington State before coming to St. Nicodemus. Uh, He was not prosecuted, however, for those earlier cases because the alleged incidents fell outside of the statute of limitations. And we have another sexual abuse case, this one against a church in Alabama. Yeah, a civil lawsuit filed on behalf of three John Doe's uh, claims that a church in Florence, Alabama, enabled a man who held various leadership positions there to sexually abuse them. Uh, the civil suit follows a July criminal suit in which Kelly Dale Crotz, who is 47 years old, was charged with three counts of indecent exposure, two counts of child abuse with sexual motivation, and two counts of second-degree sex abuse. Crotz turned himself in following a grand jury indictment in the criminal case, and he's pleaded not guilty to the charges. The trial is set to take place on October 17th. Cornerstone Church of Christ, where Crotz had worked, also is named as a defendant in the civil action. Let's look at one more story before we take another break. What do you have? Well, you may remember that back in July, a pastor in Brooklyn, New York, was robbed by two men during the worship service. Yeah, the pastor said that he and his wife were robbed of more than $1 million worth of jewelry. Yeah, that's right. And now two Brooklyn men have been charged with armed robbery for their roles in the crime. The indictment unsealed in uh, Brooklyn Federal Court last week said that Juwan Anderson, who's 23 years old, and Saquon Pollock, who is also 23, were arrested for their roles in the armed robbery at the Brooklyn Church, which took place back in July. A third defendant remains at large. 
So since the robbery, the pastor has been criticized for his flashy lifestyle. Yeah, he has been. Lamar Miller Whitehead is that pastor's name. He's been criticized for wearing expensive jewelry, the jewelry that was robbed from him in the first place during the service, and also of driving a Rolls Royce. Uh, He formed this church back in 2013 after serving a five-year prison sentence for identity theft and grand larceny. The pastor said in early September also that he was suing two YouTube personalities for defamation of character after their online commentaries claimed that the robbery was staged and called Whitehead a drug dealer and a scammer. And he is asking for damages of $20 million in each of those two cases. Yeah, White, though, himself is facing a lawsuit uh, brought on by a former parishioner who alleges that he took $90,000 in life savings from her in November of 2020 to help her buy a house that she was told she couldn't get a mortgage for because of bad credit. She said that he failed to get the mortgage for her and did not return the $90,000. Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return, our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? First up, we have news that Vice News uh, has won an Emmy Award for its documentary on Canuckook Camps. Uh, the 22 Emmy Award for Outstanding Hard News Feature Long Form went to Vice News for their 17-minute film, A Christian Summer Camp's History of Abuse, and it features interviews with survivors and gives details about litigation and settlements that have occurred. Ministry Watch has been reporting about the abuse issues at Kennecook for the last year after David and Nancy French broke the story in the dispatch. That's right. Founded in 1926, Kennecook is not your ordinary summer camp. It's an elaborate upscale sports camp. It costs about $2,500 for a two-week session, and wealthy families from places like Dallas and Kansas City, St. Louis, and the surrounding region uh, send their kids to Kennecook, often for several weeks and sometimes even longer, year after year. Canacook's leader, Joe White, claims to have served over 500,000 youth from all 50 states and around the world during its history. Yeah, but in 2010, uh, one of the 
Camp's senior counselors, a man named Pete Newman, pleaded guilty to seven counts of sexually abusing boys. He's serving two life sentences plus 30 years in prison now. And earlier this year, in response to a letter by victims, Canacook posted a statement expressing its regret and continuing support for the victims, saying that it has continued to work tirelessly to help ensure that this deeply deceptive and abusive behavior does not happen again. And we have a new list of the month. Yeah, we do. A new month, a new list. This month, we have the 50 largest evangelism and discipleship ministries in the country. And if you're a list geek, and I've got to confess that I am sort of a list geek, uh, you might want to take a good look at this one. Uh, We've now been doing these lists for a couple of years, and that's long enough so that we're able to compare this year to last year. And we've seen a good many changes. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, well, yeah. For example, we have a, a number of first-time additions to the list, and that means, of course, that a few ministries have fallen off the list as well. They include Marriage Today, Choice Books of Northern Virginia, and Lifeline Christian Mission. YWAM of San Diego Baja has also fallen off the list, but uh, for a different reason. It no longer releases its Form 990s to the public, and so we did not feel that we could reliably put their financial information on the site. Uh, We also saw some big jumps. The Museum of the Bible and Prison Fellowship Ministries both jumped into the top 10 for the first time since we've been doing this list. And that's not the only list that we've got up. That's right. Uh, Our top 10 stories for the month of September is also up. Now, you'll want to check out the entire list for yourself, but I won't keep you in suspense. I'll tell you that the number one story for the month was our report on Matt Chandler, a popular Dallas area megachurch leader who had been placed on indefinite leave for online communications with a woman who is not his wife. And what about Christina Darnell's Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, a great story from Evansdale Hope Church of the Nazarene, and they prove that you don't have to be a big church to have a big impact. This small church sometimes only has about 30 people in their Sunday morning services, but it is now, last week rather, held its second annual Bless Evansdale Day, and more than 600 residents from the community, twice as many as last year, gathered at tables set up outside the church to receive free school supplies, clothes, haircuts, and food. So really great work being done by a really small church. Convoy of Hope is another uh, ministry that Christina featured this week. They've deployed trucks with thousands of pounds of release supplies to Florida in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Uh, they The disaster relief organization is setting up points of distribution at various Assembly of God churches in Florida and expect to remain in Florida for weeks. I should add that Convoy of Hope has four stars uh, in terms of financial efficiency from Ministry Watch. That's nearly our top rating. Five stars is our top rating. And an A transparency grade. It has a donor confidence score of 68, which is not our top score, but it's still good enough to earn a give with confidence rating. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, I do have one quick item. Uh, I'll be hosting a lunch for Ministry Watch Friends in Charlotte on October 26th, and I'll be in Newport Beach, California on November the 15th. So if you live in either 
you know, Charlotte or L.A., really specifically a little south of L.A. in Orange County, you should be getting an email from me with more information. But if you want to make sure that you get that invitation, just send me an email and I'll make sure that you get the details. Um, all of these lunches, by the way, are free. They're just our way of saying thank you for being a part of our work. Again, if you'd like details, send me an email. My email is wsmith at ministrywatch.com. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Jessica Leah, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. And special thanks to churchleaders.com for providing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.